Welcome to episode 70 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at Grotesque, season 3, episode 14, having finished our look at the new series. Original air date is February 2nd, 1996. The IMDb user score is currently 7.8 out of 10. This is the 14th of 20 scripts written by Howard Gordon, or some of those credits are to story ideas, but he's got writer story or teleplay credits at least on 20 episodes. This is number 14 of those. And it was directed by Kim Manners, who's got many, many episodes ahead of him. The action primarily takes place in Washington, D.C. In this one, we get a look back at Mulder's time as a criminal profiler, which is what really set him apart in the FBI. And part of that is by bringing in his old supervisor, who taught him how to be a profiler. That's Agent Bill Patterson, played by guest star Kurt Woodsmith, who, much like Lisa Robin Kelly in the previous episode is probably best known for his work on that 70s show, although that show hadn't premiered yet. He was also known for his work in Robocop, Dead Poets Society, Rambo 3, and very recently Agent Carter. He is very much still a working actor. He brings Mulder in because his unit has just caught a serial killer that they've been looking for for years. An individual by the name of John Mostow, played by Levan Uchenashvili, who probably goes by the name Lavani in most of his credits just to keep it pronounceable and easy to recall. Lavani is best known for the 25th Hour, Air Force One, Independence Day, and Blade. After capturing this guy, which they do in the opening teaser, we find that there are still copycat killers. So the way he's killing is still out there. They want to make sure they've got the right guy, which Bill Patterson is obviously convinced of. they got to figure out why there's a copycat out who's copying killings that were not fully publicized, how that's working. And the whole time, Bill Patterson is giving Mulder a rough time. He expresses clear dissatisfaction with Mulder's choice of career path moving on to the X-Files. And we find that Mulder's involved because someone requested his help on this case, which we later learn was Agent Bill Patterson. So even though he rides Mulder extremely hard, his other agents say, you know, get a few beers in him, and he starts telling Mulder stories. He's got a lot of respect for Agent Mulder. But we also see somewhat part of the reason maybe why Mulder is so happy with the X-Files, because the way he was taught to do this was to get inside the killer's head and to sort of become the killer. And in becoming the killer, you get to know that killer. But it also means you start to have some of the issues. Both Scully and Skinner express concern about what's happening with Mulder when Bill Patterson flat out tells her, you know, let Mulder do what he needs to do and just trust his process. So it's nice to see that glimpse into Mulder's past, but to me, what really sets this episode apart is the cinematography. Now, cinematography is the way the episode is actually photographed. It's how they set up the cameras, it's how they light it, and this is the first but not last episode to win an Emmy Award for cinematography. Chris Carter's goal with the X-Files was always to have a mini-movie on TV, and this is an absolutely stellar example of what you can do. To have great cinematography, you need to have great planning, you need to have setups, you need to have lighting, you need to have filters. And with TV, you don't have the time to go back and do a lot of elaborate setups and reshoots. You've got to get it right the first time if you want to have really elaborate and impressive cinematography. And cinematographer John S. Bartley was the cinematographer for the first three seasons of The X-Files. He did a spectacular job on this, working in conjunction with director Kim Manners. The Cinematography Oscar at this time was just for a series. And these were the early days of cinematography Oscars. They've since divided the category. They tried doing it one hour and half an hour. They've since divided it a little more sensibly into single and multi-camera. Single camera shows 
are ones where you only have one camera, and that's what the X-Files is. Which means you can get a little more quality out of the cinematography when you change camera angles, you can also change lighting on the same scene, so you have a lot more precise control over what appears on the screen, but it does take longer to film. So if you've got a scene where Mulder and Scully are in a conversation, and you get close-ups of Mulder, close-ups of Scully, and medium shots of the both of them, then a single camera show like the X-Files had to film that scene three times with their one camera in three different positions. Once pointing at Mulder, or Duchovny, once pointing at Gillian Anderson as Scully, and then once pulled back pointing at the pair of them. Typically they do what they call the master shots, or the pulled back shot, filming the pair of them first. It's very common for dramas. For sitcoms, it's a little less common, especially things filmed in front of a live audience. Live audience shows tend to be multi-camera shows. Sitcoms, everything tends to be brightly and evenly lit. So you can have three or four cameras going, and in a conversation like that, each lead actor has a camera pointed at him or her while you have the establishing shot camera or the master shot that's pulled back to film everybody. And ideally, they can do the entire scene in one take and get all the shots they need from all the different cameras. Makes it easier for what they call continuity. So you get more consistent lighting, you know, more consistent placement of props. It's easier for the editors to keep everything together as opposed to filming it three times when actors might put props in slightly different places and then you have continuity errors when objects seem to move under their own power as soon as the camera changes angle. So that's faster to film and easier in post-production, but then you do have to make sure everything is lit the same way and you don't have the opportunity to make slight differences to accent different things under the close-ups. This episode also uses color filters, so you notice it's very blue. Part of that can be the lights that they use on the set and the way it's filmed, but the easiest and cheapest way to do it is usually to just put a filter in the camera that blocks most light that isn't blue. Not all of it. We still see some red in the blood in the victim's mouths and things like that, but it's not as bright a red as it normally would be because the camera is primarily only allowing blue light in. In this case, it's really the cinematography that takes an average script and elevates it into a positively haunting episode. Highly recommended. This is not an episode to watch while multitasking with your tablets or anything else like that out. This is one where you want to give the screen your full attention so you can really get absorbed just by the way it's shot. That's about all we have to say about Grotesque. Join us again in two weeks' time when we start the two-parter Piper Maru and Apocrypha with Piper Maru. Now, we have had feedback from one listener on how we handle Millennium. So, listener Agent Summers feels that Millennium is really a full show with several seasons, and it deserves its own podcast rather than being mixed in. And mixing it into the X-Files might be a disservice to the passionate fans of that series. While passionate fans of the X-Files might prefer to have the X-Files podcast stay focused on the X-Files. And that's honestly the sort of the idea I was leaning towards. But, of course, we will keep it open for other listeners if we get enough people voting the other way, then we will do it the other way. So in the meantime, feel free to rate and review this and any other show you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher. It really does help the shows get noticed. Pass on links to the show to friends who you think may be interested. And finally, thank you for listening. Intro and outro music is Outside Pool Side by Laswell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content is copyright 2016 Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments or feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening.